Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The weekly wrap on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker and Bharati Jagdish with you. Ryan Huang will be back in just a while with a finance update. Time now to take a look at the one thing that's been making headlines this week. Budget 2022, the Mm. debates. Well, they started two weeks ago on February 28th. Today is the last day that Parliament will be sitting to debate the statement for the new financial year. Of course, the raising of GST and other tax-related matters, I would say, were the hottest topics. Yeah, yeah. You know what? We're going to get into some of the hits and misses. And helping us out is a good friend of ours, P.N. Balji, political commentator and veteran journalist. Good morning, sir. How are you? Hi, thank you very much for inviting me. I guess to start us off, Balji, let's let's go easy and you know just generically talk about for you what were some of your hits and misses with regard to budget 2022 debate. Yeah, I will start with with one hit first, and that is this budget offers a, it offers a sense of confidence. The two budgets before this were very very somber in the sense that you know we have been hit by COVID. And the government was in a mode to spend, to borrow, mm. and spend. Mm. This time around, my sense, looking at the budget statement by the uh, finance minister, is in a situation to bring in more revenue. Okay. Mm. So I would call this a sunshine budget. That sounds like a very nice thing. But we do know that there were a lot of criticisms leveled at the budget statement by opposition party members, as well as, you know, from time to time, PAP's own members as well. For instance, were wealth taxes progressive enough? Why isn't more being done in that regard? Did the GST really have to be increased at this time? So I'm sure there were downsides that you picked up on as well. Tell us about those. Yes, I think the items you mentioned are some of those items. And first point is about GST. Let's, mm. let's yeah. talk about GST, right? Mm. And uh, GST is a tax which is based on spending, you know? Yeah. Depends on how much you spend, you have to pay a tax. Now, I think the government realized that original intention was to have the GST implemented this year, but the government decided that it would be too painful. So we pushed it in a two-step way to increase by one percentage point next year and the year after another percentage point. But fundamental, maybe ideological question is, do we need GST? Especially when Singapore has money in the reserves. My take on that is that, you know, reserves are there. I mean, it's like all of us, right? We have money in our savings account in the bank. Do we take all the money out? Do we take the money out? Or do we take the money out when we really need it? So I think that a GST is something that we need. But to be kind of uh, fair about it, to be balanced about it, the government has also come out with a lot of measures, especially to help the lower income people, you know, mm. whether it is GST vouchers or in some other form. So based on all, all this, I think it, it's quite a fair deal. Okay. Talking about helping and adding money or making money in that sense, what are your thoughts on the wealth tax? I mean, is it really just like a token type of wealth tax? Because it's very difficult to measure <laughs> yeah. wealth, right? Yeah. I think that, that's a popular belief. It is tokenism that the rich people should pay more. Mm. And I, I agree. 
I think there is a lot of wealth floating in Singapore. Most of this wealth is uh, comes from uh, the foreigners who have come here and up their money. And uh, as everything in modern life, when you do something, there's always an impact, maybe a negative impact on the other side. So I, I, I think wealth tax is a good thing. I think the government could have been a bit more aggressive on this front. But I can also see why the government is doing this in a very gingerly fashion, because it also doesn't want to frighten away the, the investors who are here, the foreigners who are here. So it is uh, doing it, I think, uh, the government is doing it in a progressive fashion. It's not just going to come in and say, okay, I'm going to introduce a, a heavy wealth tax, mm. which will just an investors. But the thing is, Balji, wealth taxes have been talked about for years. And, you know, in fact, people are asking for new ones, right? For instance, capital gains taxes and all that to be imposed as well. So to what extent do you think the government is maybe being too gentle here? It really needs to move faster on this in the coming years. Agree. I mean, I think I think it, the government has to balance it, you know, how far and how fast should we go? I think capital gains tax is, is one area where uh, the government could have done something or mentioned something in the budget. I, I'm not really sure why it has been a bit more gentle on this, but it cannot, my view is that it cannot hold back on wealth taxes mm. to move. Mm. But it is the government's decision to move a bit prudently, but I felt it been a bit more aggressive. Uh, Balji, it's time for the fine trouble question of the day, and this is about Singapore's reserves. And I think a lot of Singaporeans and even uh, officials in Parliament have debated about why the government does not publicise information on the full extent of our reserves. Government says it's for strategic reasons. Is it justification enough? In fact, Workers' Party MP Leon Pereira asked when it will be reasonable enough to review the rules regarding information about our reserves. What are your thoughts, Balji? Well, I think that uh, the government could be a bit more open about reserves. The more you try to uh, not reveal, the more suspicion there is among some sections of the public. So I think it could be a bit more, a bit more open. But I can also uh, see why the government is uh, so, so uh, uh, kind of secretive. I feel that as the clamor for the government to be a bit more open about reserves will grow and it cannot hold on for long. It has to find some way to release some statistics on the reserves to uh, announce it in parliament, for example, and not reveal it to the public. That means uh, in a secret session in parliament, some of these facts can be released. And I, I presume why uh, I believe that you can get the MPs to sign a non-disclosure agreement. Why so, does it have to be so secretive, though? I mean, some <laughs> might say, tell the public, why, why are we hiding this information from the public as well? Good, good question. I think it is, goes back to old times when government felt that we cannot show not just foreigners, but even the locals, you know, because if you reveal... Uh, and I'm not here uh, saying uh, that's the right thing. Mm. But if you don't reveal, if you reveal, then the, the, there will be a push on okay. part on the part of the public. Hey, we got so much of money, you know. Why 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 are we? Why don't we take this out for that this that? 
So I think that ideology is still there in government. Mm. My view is that they have to slowly move away from that. Mm. Maybe there's also a bit of a culture. Like if you go and ask your mother and father, "Mom, Dad, how much money you have?" Slap you. Uh, none of your business. Uh, uh, no, need, no, need, no need to ask your mom and dad. I can ask you. <laughs> okay, here's another issue. MP Ang Wei Nang for West Coast GRC. He caused a stir. Mm. You know, wanting to put a timestamp on education. Perhaps degrees should, in some form, expire after five years. Now he's he's since uh, apologized in a written reply. What were your thoughts on all of this? I mean, especially now this potentially going to be no media exams for all primary and secondary schools from next year. Yeah, I mean, uh, let me talk about the uh, the MP first. I think if you, I went back, I went back to read his entire speech, mm-hmm. and I thought it was a bad speech. I thought it was not a bad speech at all because what he was advocating was that that basically that your degree, the the degree that you get or the diploma that you get, after a couple of years is no more valuable mm-hmm. for your job to seek a job because the jobs of today, not just tomorrow. Uh, are not so uh, degree bound, you know. Mm. It's experience, it's how you think, uh, how you can think on your feet. So I think he he had said more or less all those, mm. but then he talked about the time stamp, mm. and unfortunately that became the angle of the story. Yeah, and the people focused on that. You know how how we all are. That became the sensational angle. And he lost the plot. So, yeah. just, to, just to complete the point, in today's world, what we all need to do when we communicate, whether we write, whether we talk, we need to provide the context. I call it contextual reporting. Mm. will become more and more important than actually the news. Yeah, and I think people maybe just need some communications training, yeah, and that might help also. <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, we, sure about the yeah, we shouldn't push that because actually we provide it, don't we? But here's the thing, we also should talk about the whole spirit of inclusivity mm. and helping the lower income individuals amongst us. Senior Minister of State for Manpower, Zaki Mohammad, talked about the new progressive wage mark accreditation scheme, which will be launched in the second half of this year. What do you think of this? I mean, will it really encourage more companies to adopt the progressive wage model to actually elevate the status of those of us who aren't earning as much, the lower income groups in society, and to be truly inclusive? Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, from a purely idealistic point of view, that is right. But again, here is where the clincher is. There are companies and there are companies, you know. There are companies that I'm sure are willing to take on this progressive wage model, which actually is a minimum wage scheme. Mm. But for some reason, the government doesn't want to call it the minimum wage scheme because it has been proposed by people outside government. Mm. So what do we do? Progressive wage. <laughs> but never mind, that's, that's trying to pick uh, a fight, you know, if, if I can call it that. But I think... The, the again, most of our companies are small and medium-sized companies, you know, mm. and they are suffering. You know, many of them are suffering, especially after COVID. And I just heard a story—I mean, not a story, but a real, a real story of a friend who uh, has lost his job because the company says it cannot hold on anymore; it has to close down. So, 
so you have many of these stories out there which then ask uh, makes you ask the question can they even think of a progressive wage model um, my my main point is the companies that can afford the big companies like dbs for example which has made a lot of profits last year and its uh, ceo has just been paid a humongous sum of money uh, as salary i think these are the companies that should not just accept the progressive wage model scheme but in fact maybe pay even more than that so uh, i think again is uh, a question of how much can you afford and if i do it what will happen to my bottom line all right. We're going to have to leave it at that, uh, Balji. Uh, I'm afraid we've run out of time, but what a great conversation. We've been speaking with PN Balji, political commentator and veteran journalist. Sir, thank you so much for your time. You take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.